Welcome to the Sober Since 16 podcast. This is a recovery podcast about long-term sobriety after getting sober as a teenager. And this is episode four. So I have recorded this about six times over, I think. And I'm just going to just try to plow through if there's mistakes or if one of my dog barks. We're just going to have to bear it because... (laughs) I have started over way too many times, Um, but I wanted to get this going because, yes, it has been way too long once again, and I'm going to talk today about what it's like now. Um, So I had talked in a typical meeting format. If there was a main speaker talking about their recovery, it would be what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So I've recorded the other two episodes, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it's like uh, at 34 years of sobriety and a little bit about the beginning of my recovery as well. I was going to also discuss the 12 steps and how I work them, but given that I don't have a whole lot of time to record this episode and I would kind of like to give the steps its due, I My plan is to actually record a step uh, with a corresponding month. So I'll start in January, I'll do step one in January, step two in February, and so on. And that'll give me an opportunity to kind of delve deeper into it and perhaps even have uh, some people help contribute to that and talk about what their experience was like for that particular step. So I'm excited. Uh, So... I, when I got sober, I was 16, and I shared a little bit about what it was like before I had gotten sober and what had happened, but after I got sober, um, most of the people I know now tend to get clean and sober by either coming through a treatment center or going to some recovery home. And when I got sober in the 80s, that was not as common. I would say maybe 20 to 30% of the people that I knew were getting clean and sober that way. It's not just, it's not a judgment. It's, It's kind of more of a reflection. And in a lot of ways, especially given, um, kind of the risk of people coming off of medications, I always think that it's better to err on the side of, caution and do that in a place where it's safe. Um, because I saw a lot of people doing DTs in meetings. I mean, it's hardcore, um, and, and nothing to play around with. So, you know, if you aren't sober and you're thinking about getting sober and you've been taking, uh, you know, benzos or, you know, drinking at a lot of alcohol to the point where you're um, having the shakes in the morning or whatever, just do yourself a favor and and get some medical help. Um, Kicking it by yourself is kind of a silly badge of honor, and I think it's always better to make sure that um, you're not going to have a fucking seizure. So (laughs) Uh, anyway, so I... Um, I was still in high school. It was, I had gotten sober the summer before my junior year. And uh, so I was I tried to kind of keep my two lives separate. Um, 
and I went to a meeting every single night because in high school there are people who uh, were selling drugs in my English class and drinking alcohol out of juice boxes in at lunchtime and I was sort of surrounded by it but as they say I sort of I, I stuck with the winners and I usually went out afterwards afterwards uh after meetings I should say and I had coffee with people and uh, I got myself a sponsor and I started working the steps and about maybe three or four months sober uh, I met a guy in the program and although it's not written anywhere in the literature it's recommended that you don't get involved in a relationship in the first year and there's a really good reason for that I won't go into that here but if you have any questions you're welcome to to leave any message on anchor or uh, leave a comment uh, on social media or on the blog but the you know, I don't recommend it because what happens is people get in relationships and then they break up and they don't have a whole lot of recovery experience and people tend to go out behind that kind of thing. Um, for me, um, I will say it was good in in that what we did was we went to meetings together. That was kind of our thing. That was a huge part of our relationship and um, it got me active in the fellowship. Uh, we went to dances, we went camping, we went to conventions, and it was a really fun time. Um, I will say that uh, the relationship lasted for three years, and at the end of those three years, I was pretty emotionally bankrupt. I didn't have a big, much of a program to fall back on. I had worked, I think, the first three steps and part of a fourth step and I hadn't really done any of it very thoroughly so um, I was very lucky that I was able to stay sober through that a lot of people that I knew uh, went out after um, relationship breakups and uh, I, I'm just very fortunate that that wasn't the case for me it certainly did not have anything to do with working some kind of amazing program because that was not the case. Um, and when I broke up with my boyfriend, I ended up getting a new sponsor because I really needed to, to work with someone who was uh, had a lot of experience with the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and could really help me go through them. And that's kind of what sponsorship is about and, and in a nutshell a sponsor is somebody that you can talk to about recovery, about issues that come up in your own sobriety, um, help you problem solve situations. Uh, you know, let's say a friend of yours was getting married and there was going to be a lot of alcohol at the wedding, but you're new to recovery. You know, um, there's lots of ways that you can approach those kinds of things. You can go with a friend. You can decide not to go. Um, you can make sure that you have your own car there so you can leave if you get uncomfortable. You can be accountable to somebody. You can call them before you leave and then check in when you come back. You know, there's lots of ways to take care of yourself around situations that are emotionally charged or um, have potential for being slippery. 
Um, I got my first real job when I got clean and sober. Um, it was like my first big job and I was working at, um, well, it was, this, it was actually a sweet little, um, gift store and it's where I met my husband. So I, it has a very special place in my heart, but retail is, is, oh man, it's just such a bitch to work in. And, um, but it was good. I mean, it was really good for a first job. I mean, I had other other jobs in high school or whatever, but when I was a senior in high school, my mom had been very unhappy living in our town. She had wanted to move actually for a couple of years. And I just begged her and said, please just stay until I graduate from high school. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have this experience with family members, but my mom is generally a lot of talk. And I didn't, I, I'm sure some of it was denial, but I really didn't think that she was going to move or certainly move that quickly. But as soon as I graduated from high school, she was gone within, within two months. Um, and it was a really tough adjustment for me. But at that point, I had been sober uh, for about two years, I guess, two and a half years and um you know it was it was really time for me to grow up anyway i had been dependent on her for a lot of things and i didn't have a whole lot of life experience because of it um in some ways i was very responsible and way older emotionally than i should have been i think at 15 16 17 but then there was a lot of stuff that i just didn't have the skill set for because of the particulars of growing up in kind of the situation that I did. You know, my mom, um, you know, she had a horrific childhood and I'm sure to a degree still struggles with PTSD um, and had, you know, she was hospitalized a couple times for mental illness. And, you know, I, she loved me very, very much, but there, you know, there just wasn't a whole lot of emotional support. Um, and particularly the last couple of years of my drinking and using, she was very checked out. Um, so she moved and I, um, you know, I had a job. I'd kind of gone through the motions and done what I needed to do and I'd gotten a place to live. But boy, it was a huge adjustment for me. And I always joke about how had she not moved, I probably would still be living with her. And obviously that's... <laughs> That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but yeah, it was it was a big change for me. Um, and let's see what else. I uh, started sponsoring people around my third year of sobriety. I was still very young, so I didn't sponsor a lot of people um, at the time. Um, there was... Uh, the program where I live was very, um, in the 80s and 90s, it was this huge thing. And, and not that it isn't, but at that time, it was very vibrant here. And uh, there were uh, people who were getting involved in recovery that were in their late 20s and 30s. And although there were young people as well, like people younger than, um, you know, their mid-20s and 30s, obviously. But... Uh, but not a lot of young people. So, um, you know, I got kicked out of meetings for being disruptive. I think one time I was skateboarding on the stage. 
we were in some sort of a, a church that had a, uh, I, it was like one of those pop-up stages, I guess. I can't imagine what it was for, but I don't know, maybe they had like a band to entertain the congregation or whatever. Um, yeah, so they don't, you know, I was being a dick, essentially. Um, so anyway, this is all over the place. But I had started sponsoring uh, a couple of people who were a little bit younger than myself. And I wasn't very good at it. It took a while because I feel like there's a degree of responsibility, I think. Um, and once I understood that I'm not telling people, giving them life advice or telling people how they should be... Um, living their lives in terms of, you know, raising families or at their jobs. I'm just sharing my experience. And once I kind of got that component, it took some of the pressure off. I mean, if one of the people I sponsor asks me my opinion, I will certainly give it. But, um, you know, it's it. everybody processes things and does the steps at different speeds. Um, it's not often that I tell somebody, you know, you have to do this or you should not be doing that. I mean, it's come up occasionally, but for the most part, I tend to try to lead by example. Um, and let's see, you know, I've shared a little bit about the turning points. I think I was about halfway through my sobriety to where I am now, about 17 years clean and sober. And I've done it throughout my recovery, actually, where I sort of recommitted to the program. I've gone to more meetings. I've uh, taken more commitments. And those kinds of things keep me involved and um, help me keep the program fresh. Because, you know, going to meetings for 34 consecutive years, you kind of, it, it can get stagnant. And one of the things I really try to do is create the fellowship that I crave. So, you know, I try to really, um, you know, when I'm feeling like, oh my God, if I hear the topic of gratitude one more time, I'm going to scream. I, <laughs> I try to mix it up and go to a book study or um, even try to be do service work like uh, H&I, which stands for Hospitals and Institutions. And you can go onto panels and go to places where people who are either in a treatment facility or people who are um, in jail or whatever, you can go to those kinds of places where people who can't get out and go to meetings ordinarily, you can share your experience. Um, but I would say that if I had to credit my long-term recovery to anything, it would be being of service by taking commitments because that always gets me showing up for a meeting. If I'm going to meetings, then I am much more on board with my solution rather than getting caught up in my head and uh, and taking steps backwards. Um, uh, and also sponsorship. Sponsorship is huge. And like I said before, not everybody is down to be a sponsor. Um, you know, there's lots of ways to be of service, but for me, it has been one of the things that has kept me active in terms of continuing working my steps and trying to to um, to always strive to work on my own recovery. Um, 
because it's hard to tell someone, okay, this is what you need to be doing, but not do it yourself because no one likes a hypocrite. So, um, in my recovery, I had mentioned that I, you know, I had that retail job and I met my husband and, um, you know, he and I, he doesn't go to meetings anymore, but we both are clean and sober and we try to live our, our, uh, our lives by the principles of the program. Um, I don't have any judgment about whether or not he goes to meetings. That's his business. Um, I just know it doesn't work for me. And, um, when I was about, uh, almost seven years clean and sober, um, my husband and I had our daughter and, um, I mean, it was an incredible experience and, um, it really taught me a huge lesson about selflessness because prior to having kids, it was just all about me, me, me. <laughs> and it can still, I mean, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm still way up in my head most of the time, but, um, you know, it just, you know, you have to step up and be, and be the adult when you're parenting young children. And, um, so, you know, I have my, my son is almost 18. So for all, in, you know, I had my son when I was 17 years sober. So for all intents and purposes, uh, my, uh, oh gosh, I just totally lost my train of thought. Where was I going with that? Um, I think I was talking about being the adult. Oh, what I was going to say was, you know, my kids have gone to meetings and they have given me a cake. Um, I, I think people say it, uh, celebrate uh, recovery anniversaries in different ways. But where I live, you call it taking a cake. And um, basically, it's it's you ask someone who is important to your recovery um, to help you, you know, you give them the honor of, of, um, giving you a cake. Um, and so my family has done that for me pretty much every single year. So my kids know about meetings. They've come to meetings with me. Um, and although I don't think that either one of them could tell you what all the 12 steps are, um, they have sort of learned about I mean, they've been raised on the principles of of the program about, you know, trying to take a look at what your part is in a given situation and apologizing when you've hurt someone or when you're in the wrong. Um, and just basically trying to be a good person. Uh, and I, I see those qualities in, in my kids. And, you know, some of that is, um, you know... Uh, the program by osmosis. Um, but also some of that is just because they're really good people. Um, my hope is that neither one of them will become alcoholics or struggle with addictions of any kind. But the truth of the matter is that I don't really get a say in that. Um, I have tried to educate them as best as I can about alcoholism and the chances I mean, they're sort of, they've predisposed given the genetics behind <laughs> both their father and myself. Um, but, you know, I, I, 
it's one of the things that makes me so proud about my recovery is is that it's sort of a byproduct of my parenting is being able to share um, the struggles in my own recovery um, sort of I'm not articulating it well, but hopefully that makes sense is that, you know, I, I can be human and when I make mistakes, I can apologize and hopefully, um, you know, they, they can benefit from the fact that I have had 34 years of experience in recovery. Um, but, uh, so what my life is like today I would have to say that I I struggle just like I did in the beginning of my recovery. You know, I have issues and problems and grievances, but I come to the solution much faster. I also I also want what I have. I mean, that's kind of one of the things that we talk about in the program when you are looking for a sponsor is you're looking for somebody who has what you want. You want to work with that person. It looks like they're successful in their lives and they aren't constantly creating drama or, you know, whatever your standards are. And if I take an honest appraisal, I would say, you know, most of the time I'm really happy with what I'm doing and where I'm at. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't say that 34, 35 years ago. Um, and even at the beginning of my recovery, I did a lot of really stupid stuff. Um, and, you know, I just, no matter what, I know that drinking and doing drugs will never, ever make a hard situation better. Um, one of the kind of the slogans that we talk about is one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And when I had gotten sober, people would say stuff like, it's the first drink that gets you drunk. And I mean, a lot of the jargon made zero sense to me. And, you know, as I got stayed sober longer, I realized, you know, it's not necessarily that, you know, I get drunk when I take my first drink. What that means is it sets the ball in motion and it may not even be in the same evening but inevitably, if I'm going to start drinking, drugs are the very next thing to come into play. And I'm making poor choices across the board. And I'm enormously grateful that neither one of my children have ever seen me drunk. I have, you know, it's, it's not a part of my daily life anymore. Um, when I, bef- shortly before I started taking an antidepressant, around the time that I... Um, I had gone on this medical diet. I I stopped eating sugar and things got really hard for me. And um, I think I had shared about that maybe in the first episode of this podcast that um, one of the reasons why I went on on an antidepressant in the first place was because, you know, I'd sort of bought into, um, I guess, the stigma that you know, I wasn't really sober if I had to take an antidepressant, which is, you know, I I certainly don't believe that to be true for the women I sponsor or other people. I don't know why I would have felt that way for me, but I think it's just, you know, 
depression or anxiety kind of tells you lies. And um, anyway, you know, I, once I had stopped giving up, once I gave up sugar, I it just became apparent that instead of sort of protecting my recovery, I realized I was putting my recovery at risk by not taking care of myself um, around uh, my anxiety and the depression I'd been having. So um, it has been transformative. I have, I'm in a better place now, I think, than I have been in probably the last eight or ten years. And, uh, you know, I really probably should have taken an antidepressant much, much sooner, but, you know, there's not really anything I can do. I can't go back in the past and change that. Um, it certainly would have saved me a lot of, um, you know, I had some dark times and, and, um, I really struggled unnecessarily. So that's my story. I, you know, if you, I feel like there's probably a whole lot more I could say, but, you know, I'm, I'm enormously grateful. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not a statement I take lightly. Uh, I don't really think I, I've ever said that I'm grateful that I'm an alcoholic. Um, that's not really, you know, I hear a lot of people say in meetings that I'm so grateful that I have this, or, you know, that, that there are so many people who don't have this and, whatever I, you know i think that people find their own solution in their own community and i think that's important for me my solution in my community is going to aa meetings and um staying clean and sober so if you would like to continue that dialogue and you have any thoughts on the subject i will go ahead after i publish this i'll put up a little blog post on the companion website which is SoberSince16.com and you can also look there um, for the social media accounts affiliated with this podcast and you're always welcome if you are listening on the anchor platform you're always welcome you can leave me a message um, so I am excited for the next episode that I will publish will be about dual diagnosis with one of my very dearest friends. Um, it's going to be a great episode. I'm really excited about it because not only is my friend um, an MFT, a marriage family uh, therapist, she is in recovery herself, and um, I don't think she'll mind me saying that she is dual diagnosed just like me. So, birds of a feather and all that. Um, plus, she's hella funny, and she's just a fucking badass. So, um, all right, that's it. Thank you again so much for listening and for your support, and I will talk with you very soon. Have That's it. Okay, goodbye.